as a society, we continue to have conversations around a lot of heavy topics. Two of those seem to be family, family dynamics, even even how do we connect with children and youth in really equitable ways. And then the second is shame. There's so many of us that are carrying shame from different aspects of our life. I loved this episode that we had a conversation with Ana Valdez because I believe that she presents a hopeful, holistic vantage point on both. That families have multifaceted ways to become family and to stay family. And shame, shame doesn't have a place in our story. And we can all overcome it. So check out this re-listen as it is right on time for those of us who are still wrestling with these really important topics. The Be The Difference podcast is presented by Back to Back Ministries, a Christian nonprofit organization providing holistic care for orphan and vulnerable children and families around the world. To find out more about Back to Back or to follow on social media, head to backtoback.org. Welcome to Be The Difference, stories of everyday people who are being the difference in the lives of others. I'm Sammy Matthews. I'm here with my co-host, Chris Cox. Another amazing episode today, Sammy. You got the opportunity uh, to do the interview with our guest today, and I am continually thinking about all of the things that were said in this interview. Tell our audience who you got to spend some time with this time. So today we're talking to Ana Valdez. She is the Director of Programs at Fostering Hope Austin. Fostering Hope is really committed to training and equipping foster parents, adoptive parents, um, through training and mentoring, and they're just venturing into also training biological parents of kids who have been separated from them through foster care. I am excited for you to hear about Anna's heart and passion for training about the effects of early childhood trauma and how we can be people who bring healing and hope into the lives of kids. We're going to touch a little bit also on her journey and time spent living in a children's home caring for 10 girls. I actually got to be her neighbor during that experience and so we'll talk a little bit about that too and just really dive into who Anna is and the story that she's living. Anna, welcome to the show. I am so glad you're here. I am really grateful that our audience is going to get to hear some of your story today. Our stories intersected in 2012 when you moved to Mexico to take care of 10 girls in a children's home. And if I remember correctly, that pretty much happened because somebody looked at you and invited you. So I would love for you to back me up a little bit. How did you get to be the kind of person that when someone invites you to move into a children's home and take care of 10 girls, you said yes? That's such an interesting question. I don't, I mean, I definitely see my life that way. I don't know if I've ever been asked that question because people tend to be focused on that particular experience. But um, I remember being a really shy little girl. You know, I grew up in a government housing. And I had a very different life than, um, I don't know, than what I thought kind of God wanted in someone he wanted to use, if if that makes sense. And um, Mm. I remember 
starting to serve at my church when I was about 12 years old. And I, I distinctly remember the memory, um, of the first baby that I sang to, uh, in the nursery and I sang her to sleep and she was fussy and I held her and I sang her to sleep. I remember that so well. Um, but I think, you know, I also come from a family where my parents serve their community so much and hard all the time. So I definitely saw that growing up. That was very much part of my life. Um, and all I wanted to do back then as a shy little girl was just um, have a little bit of a better life than um, than how I grew up, you know, and I thought that was pretty much the American dream. And I realized very fast that it wasn't what I wanted. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think seeing people around me uh, serving their community, serving God, being passionate about that. And um, that, you know, later on in life really stuck out to me and it really wanted to be something uh, that I wanted to do with, with my life. Um, so, yeah. And then, of course, I, I went to college and I became a teacher. And so um, I, you know, kids are in serving kids and ministry to kids and even in my professional career, um, that was just a highlight all the time. Um, I was just, I guess, programmed that way. <laughs> so you had had experiences with kids as a teacher, and then you move to a different country, move into a children's home. You were responsible for 10 girls that first night, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember the first uh, night that I got there, and we um, it was kind of like an introduction to me, and we all like, kind of sat in the living room. Um, and we were going to just say hello and, you know, exchange our names. We didn't even know our names. <laughs> and as I was trying to, you know, keep it, I've always been so bad with names that I was, but I was trying to remember what everyone's name was, all these new faces I was meeting just, you know, in the first day, um, one of the girls asked me a question and I always share this because it's so ironic, but <laughs> one of the first questions that she asked me was, do you like egg? And I don't like eggs. I was like, no, I don't like egg. You know, I don't really eat egg. Um, I, at that time, I was trying to eat like healthier even. So I even said that, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to eat healthier. And they all just started laughing at me. Um, and I, I didn't know why. Um, and uh, I later found out that every night, pretty much every night in the, in the home, we ate egg for dinner. You know, eggs with beans, eggs with potatoes, eggs by themselves, fried eggs, scrambled eggs, every kind of egg that you can imagine. And I think that's so ironic because that was not the only thing I didn't know. Um, I didn't know kind of what I was getting myself into when um, I volunteered to take care of these girls for only two months. And I said, I, I will I will do it until you find someone better qualified, basically, is what, what I was thinking. In. Um, and, you know, I had already been a, a high school teacher at that point. And I said, you know, I could pretty much keep kids in line. You know, I did it pretty well in my classroom, but this was, this was really different, you know, moving in and raising, uh, 10 girls, um, that were all, um, wounded by their histories really, um, was really different. Yeah. You said pretty briefly there that you were going to do it for two months until they found someone. And in total, you ended up caring for teenage girls for five years. Yeah. About five years. And throughout that journey, I know that there were moments that were 
like highs and great moments to celebrate, and there were moments that were lows. How did you learn to celebrate victories in the midst of some really hard stories? I think primarily I had to get out of like this box of what I thought was good or what I thought God blessed or what I thought God it looked like for God to be with you or uh, I had to kind of get uh, in, and I call it like American thinking right of what I as an American um, uh, thought was good and blessed and uh, you know in, in in this case for for my girls it was like are they doing well in school are they getting ready for college are they behaving well um, are they like are they enjoying spending time with me like all these outcomes that we expect from children and teens um, but these girls had lived a very different life that had impacted the, their present. And I quickly realized that it was not fair of me to expect these things. And I learned what healing looks like. Uh, I learned what it really looks uh, like for someone who maybe had been abandoned or someone who had been abused um, to get up in 5.30, maybe 5.30 in the morning, get themselves dressed, um, go to school and make it through the day uh, for them to be able to use their voice. Um, I, I learned to see those little things that showed me, hey, there's something to celebrate here. This girl should not be able to do this small thing. And she did. And, and I had to look. I had to look for those things constantly. And um that changed me. That changed my prayer life. You know, what I, you know, ask God for, um, the things that, that I began to notice as healing or blessings or victories for sure. Yeah. It's kind of like a recalibrating of, of what success is. Yes. Like changing the bar almost. Yeah. And from someone who, um, you know, I'm a first generation college student and I, uh, really a lot part of my life, I wanted to have some sort of success that I had never seen in, you know, in my immediate family, in my neighborhood, in my surroundings. Um, so it's so interesting how, you know, a lot of my life was prepping me to look for that and to work for that. And that is great. And I still look for that. And I still work really hard for, you know, to be able to, to live a, a good life. But um that was just a totally different point of view that I had to understand of uh, what, you know, spiritual healing is, emotional healing is um, for, for my girls. So along the way, it sounds like you learned a lot about yourself and what your expectations were for healing. What is something that you learned about God? I think I learned, and this is going to sound... <laughs> It's going to sound funny, but I think I learned and learned to see that God is everywhere, not only in the spaces we expect him to be and not only in the ways that we expect him to 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 see or to look like. Right. Um, that he is with the wounded, that he is with the hurt, that he is, you know, in a simple dinner, that he is in a smile, that he is not only in, you know, the nice big buildings and with, you know, the greatest people and he's there too, but he can also also be with, 
maybe what we would call the least of these, but you could see him there and you could see him strongly and you could see that he was there before I arrived. He continues to be there after I, I, I left. And I think that has been very, very powerful for me. Hmm. So when you think about this learning that success doesn't look the same for everyone and you look at some of the girls that you took care of who are growing into young women, what are some of the successes and healing that you're seeing in their lives today? I have, you know, thank God for social media and the internet these days, right? Because even though I'm apart from them now, I can definitely um, keep in contact with them, keep in touch with them. Uh, And I have been able to see some of them become mothers. Some of them um, graduate from college. Uh, Some of them have, you know, steady jobs that they had never seen anyone before in their family or in their life have. And it's, again, you know, when I see one of my particular girls with her daughter and I I know the science, I know what the statistics say. I, I studied that. I know that pretty well. And I see how she is a nurturing mother. I see how she is basically teaching her daughter preschool before even going to preschool. Um, And I I can say, you are not supposed to be able to do that. Science tells us, you know, statistics tell us that you are not supposed to be able to do it. And I can, I can really see there that um, this whole time throughout her life before I got there, you know, even now that I'm gone, like I said, God is there with her and he has been nurturing her and he has been pursuing her to make her able to, to do those things that, that she does now. So some of those statistics you're referencing is the impact of early childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And how has learning about the impact of trauma changed you? Oh, it's, it's been, it's been quite a change. I, it's kind of like lifting a veil into the emotional pain of the world that I, I didn't like fully understand before. And um, it's not only with, you know, kids and families that I still work with, but it's, it's really seeped into how I view anyone and humanity and the world in general. Um, And how um, this emotional pain could really impact your life and change your life, but also the hope that um, anyone who is consistently stable, building a relationship with you, who is consistently safe, can change the path of of that life or that person who who has experienced pain and is experiencing pain. Um, so it's it's hard, but at the same time really hopeful. Um, in that sense. When we talk about early childhood trauma, um, and especially that word trauma, I think is kind of a a buzzword these days. A lot of people are talking about it. But what are some of the experiences that a a child might have that would, we would consider like a early childhood trauma? Yeah, so um, it could be, so trauma is really about your body's response more than the actual experience. So it would be, I could give you like examples of, you know, typical things. Um, but it's really about how your body 
changes in response to things that happen to you. Um, it creates a sort of toxic stress for you that that changes you. So it could be anything from, you know, if if we're even thinking about my girls, it could be abandonment. It can be abuse, either emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, anything like that. Um, it could also be racism. It could also be extreme chronic po poverty. Um, you know, growing up in a neighborhood that's unsafe, that could also be considered, um, you know, a risk factor for this uh, childhood trauma that can really impact who you become even as an adult. And that that impact, is that just something that we're going to see emotional effects in a child as they grow or is there are there more layers to it than that? Um, you will definitely see emotional effects, but it impacts your body, your brain, your belief system, um, all, you know, your behaviors. And that's really what we, you know, from the outside looking in, that's really what we focus on. That's really what we notice. And I can definitely attest to that because that's what I first noticed when um, I started taking care of these 10 girls, right? Some of the behaviors that I saw were really hard and I didn't know what to do with. Um, but if we were able to see, you know, what their little brains, you know, what happened to their little brains based on their experience, like we would see a change in that. Even the way that you digest food changes because of this trauma. It can um, be a predictor to disease in adulthood, right? Things like cancer and diabetes and heart disease. And, you know, some studies have shown that um, it could even lead to early premature death, you know, about 20 years earlier than your peers. So it's, it's really encompasses everything. It's, it's very holistic of how it affects you. If someone is listening to this description of early childhood trauma and these experiences that change and shape us, and as they're listening, they're thinking, wow, she's describing me. What, what can that person do? Where can we go with that knowledge and those feelings? I, I would first say that there's so much hope. There's so much hope in the science. And, um, you know, as, as believers, we know that from God's word. And, you know, basically it comes down to processing what happened to you and looking for that help with someone who you trust, whether that's a professional um, if you have that opportunity, whether that's your spiritual leader, if you feel safe enough with that person, or if that's your really good friend that you feel safe enough to talk about some of these things with and start going on that healing journey. There's a lot of resources to start that healing journey. And I also want to add that does not disqualify you in any way for any type of work or calling that you want to get into. Um, we all need to go on our healing journey, but it does not disqualify us based on whatever we have experienced previously. I think what I'm hearing you say with kids who have experienced trauma or even adults who are realizing that they have their own trauma is that it's really about connection, that it's in connection and relationship that we find healing, relationship with others and relationship with God. Yes, definitely. And that's really what makes it traumatic for a child, right? There was no one there that was consistently safe and consistently warm in their life. And if we can find that at any age, 
um, the science shows us that our, our brain is kind of like plastic and it can grow and it can heal. Um, that old saying of you can't teach an old dog new tricks is not true. <laughs> um, you can definitely learn, you can definitely grow and heal. And isn't it amazing and interesting that that's what God calls us to first, right? Like a relationship with him. He doesn't say first, like, go and do this for me and go and do that for me first. He says, draw near to me and come to me and let's get to know each other. And I always thought that that was so interesting because he knows the healing power of that. Um, So, yeah, there's so much hope. So I know because um, I know a little bit about your journey and we got to walk part of it together that you're really passionate about training and equipping caregivers. Why are you so passionate about making sure that caregivers or foster parents have the right tools? Um, One is because I was one and I know exactly how it feels. And um, I've said this multiple times. I still say this now, you know, even in, in our team meetings now, I say, if I did not have a community around me, and Sammy, you were one of those people, but if I did not have people around me that understood me, that supported me, there is no way that I could have done this, right? There's no way that I, I could have done it. Um, that's one. And, and two, it's because I really believe in the impact that the family or the caregiver has on the child. I may not have direct, you know, direct care with the child or be able to even speak to them or um, touch their life in any way. But if I have a room full of parents that I can train and help them understand, that will be multiplied to all their families and to all their children. And I just remember realizing one day, like, there's no way you're going to be able to do it all. Like, that's kind of like the the principle of discipleship, right? Like you can teach others to join you in this journey to understand some of the things that you could learn together with others and come on this journey and that will be multiplied and the blessing will be multiplied or the healing will be multiplied or however we want to look at it. Um, and that's how I, why I'm also passionate about it. There's no way that one person can reach every child. But if we all, all the adults, you know, learn together and go on this journey together, we can reach all of them. When you're training caregivers and talking to them about some of your own experiences and the experiences they may be having, do you ever catch yourself kind of like in a flashback to your time in Mexico or time with the girls? Yes. And this might be a little bit different than what you expect, but one of our newest programs that I'm developing is actually um, part of that program is giving parent classes to biological families of kids who are in care. So these families are working towards reunification with their children who are currently in foster care. And I have caught myself thinking you know, this is what's supposed to happen to this particular girl who is a mom. And it has not happened. And I don't think that will happen. I don't see it going there at all. It's very different. And it also makes me have so much hope for those families. 
so much hope for what can happen and how they can stop cycles um, in their own families because I've seen it. I've seen it before. I've seen how it works. I've seen it at play. The idea of training and equipping biological families to be put back together is not something we hear a lot about. Why is that something that's important to do? You know, um, I I talk about this a lot with my team. Um, we talk about this a lot. It's something that we, we really believe in family. And I think our child welfare system is very much focused on the child. And that's great, right? We, we want to protect the child and, and, and we want to see them safe and thriving. But we fail to realize, and, and even what the science tells us, that if the parents are not okay, if the family is not okay, the child will not be okay. So we know that there's something about serving the whole family and, and, and the bio family, the number one, you know, goal, it, at least in our child welfare system in Texas, is for the child to go back to their bio family. But if we do not um, serve them, if we do not wrap around them, if we do not care for them and support them, how are they going to be able to do that? Um, how are they going to be able to overcome some of these struggles that stem from their own childhoods, right, and their own histories? So we really got to go back and fill in those gaps and give them what they missed a generation ago in order for them to be um, able to then have their kids and support their kids and be the parents that they really, really want to be. They really want to be the, those parents um, that are safe and loving and nurturing um, and and we believe that we can help them do that. Have you seen success in that? Um, yes. Yeah, so we've modeled our program after other programs in Texas that saw success in it. And it uh, we're basically partnering with the court system. Um, so although our program is very new, uh, we have modeled uh, in other programs that, that have seen success. But in just, you know, a few amount of weeks, and I can think about one particular family a few amount of weeks that I have spent with them, I can see those little things, um, the little victories, right? I can get out of my box and be able to see, okay, this is how far they've come in these short weeks. This is what has happened. This is the little uh, glimmer of hope that I can see even. So if you could rewind time and look at yourself in 2012 before you're about to move to Mexico, before that first night with the girls when they asked you if you liked egg, if you could give yourself or someone who's standing in similar shoes one piece of advice, what would you say to them? Um, the things that you might not like about yourself or the things that make you feel unqualified or the things that make you feel like you're not like that person that you see on social media. There wasn't even you know that much social media back then, but I can imagine the things that make you compare yourself and you feel like you don't measure up, those things are enough. And, and God takes those things. And it's not like he gives you more or changes your history or changes your background. Like that is what he wants, that specific thing for a specific role, a specific calling um, in it. We don't have to be embarrassed of that or feel like we don't measure up. And I think that could be really powerful. Um, that can make us use our voice 
that can make us stand up for someone in our community. Even we don't have to go to another country. Um, I think just knowing that just as I am um, is enough. The last thing I want to say is I want to say thank you, not only for sharing your story with us, but I also want to say thank you on behalf of every girl that you cared for, every girl that you tucked into bed at night and sang over as they fell asleep. I want to say thank you for the days that you showed up when it was hard, the days that you showed up when you didn't have any energy or anything left to give. (laughs) Thank you for the way that you modeled love to them and care to them. And also on behalf of the generations that are going to follow, who are going to experience a different kind of care because you stepped into some really hard stories Mm -hmm. and showed them what love and care looks like. So just thank you for, for those years that you gave and the way that you continue to give to families um, and equip caregivers in their own journeys. Sammy, this conversation that you had with Anna was such a great reminder that we can find hope in the midst of any part of our journey, whether we've experienced shame, whether we've experienced hardship, whether we've experienced trauma, And I don't want to take that for granted because what Anna brought to us was a story about some really hard things, but she poses it in such a hopeful way that I find hope in being enough myself. And that was one of my first takeaways, is just to believe that I am enough. That might be hard, but I need to breathe that in. I think it's pretty incredible that in the same conversation, she used the phrase that learning about the effects of trauma was like lifting a veil on the emotional pain of the world. And she used the phrase over and over, there is so much hope. And I think she clearly is convinced of that to her core, that training and equipping caregivers, biological parents, Anyone involved in the life of a child from a hard place is what brings hope because, like she said, she's seen it work. That's what I felt each time she answered a question that you asked about her journey or content around trauma is just what you just said. She believes in it, and she believes that it works, and not just that it works for professionals, not that it works for other trainers, But I found the most vibrance in Anna's voice when she started talking about the people who often get left out that should belong so much. Biological parents who've had their own trauma that might create some separation between themselves and their children. Future parents who are coming from a platform of trauma. The investment in belief that hope is for everyone and that belonging is for everyone and that overcoming trauma is for everyone. That was huge for me. And she's also let it change her, Mm. her perspective on what she thought success was. It's interesting to me how much our view of success is really rooted in our own experiences, in our own little framework of how we grew up. And just to hear the way that she had to release that, that idea of what the American dream was and what success was and allow herself to be changed and shaped by her experiences. And it was super encouraging to me. It it challenged me to continue to self-analyze where have I 
made success look like something that is actually just me projecting my own past and my own view and my own upbringing, not not so much what is actually success for the other person. And I think that's part of what learning about um, trauma-competent care does is kind of shifts perspective. That would be my challenge to our audience is look into getting some training yourself. We're going to put a link in the show notes to an organization called Trauma-Free World where you can go online and get access to resources, the same kind of training that Anna does you can experience for yourself. So I would encourage people to learn, to allow yourselves to be transformed and to figure out what Anna's talking about when she says there is so much hope. Yeah, my takeaway is to find a place that I go to on a regular basis, probably in the morning, and just write the words, I am enough. And I just want to challenge anyone listening today, uh, find the place where that feels really hard right now and write those three words in that place because you need to tell yourself that uh, because that's what you are. You are enough. Well, that wraps up um, our episode today. We've got links in the show notes to follow and learn more about Anna, to learn more about training and resources and trauma-competent care. Thank you to Cohatch Mason for hosting our podcast studio and to our fantastic producer, Mikey. We will see you next time. Bye.